A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey everyone, welcome to the 317th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Courtney, Drew Pierce, Anthony Ascenda, John Slater, and Adam Troy. Thank you, patrons. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Oren's been pitching it for a long time. The quote-unquote depressed episode. (laughs) Well, the agony and ecstasy, I guess, of being a filmmaker. I think we always try to have a positive spin on things. But, you know, sometimes it's not just that positive. Like, there's a difference between not cool depression, which is like, oh, it was up to direct, you know, the next Avengers installment. And I ended up not getting it just by like a hair. Uh, Then I ended up having to do a... The Jurassic Park sequel instead. Yeah, and I had to do just three episodes of this TBS show. My life sucks. So, you know, that's like not cool being bummed about things like, but I feel like it's not like I'm bummed about anything in particular, but you know, I, I do think we work in a very competitive business and, you know, people get into ruts and people lose out on jobs and people sometimes lose track of like the long vision, you know, the spark the joie de vivre, but the, the big picture is what you're really saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, the the path. It's like you get in because you love movies or you love commercials or you love TV shows and you want to do that. And you also love like, you know, my way into filmmaking was like, I actually love the filmmaking part, like the gathering all the pieces and putting them together and showing them to people and trying to get a reaction and to get people excited about it and to work with cool actors and to eat good food, that part of things. But then other times, you know, when you've been doing it for a long time, some of those things aren't as exciting as they used to be. And some of the things that you're still fighting for, you know, 10, 15 years down the road are getting a little tiring. And then some other things in your life sometimes seem more exciting. All of which is to say we're catching up. (laughs) Yeah. When we do Matt and Orrin episodes, we talk about like what's going on in our week. And, you know, sometimes it's not, it's not all... Movie stars and techno cranes. It's interesting. I find a lot of times when people are trying to write true stories about their own life or like the life of someone they know well, they do it at a time in that person's life that's like really tumultuous and like extreme and like the high highs and the low lows. And they are trying to write a full story about someone who's still like in the middle or end of the second act. And those stories are never, never make for good movies because they have no ending. This is a small tangent and then we'll get back on course. But if you've ever been in a writer's group or a screen 
screenwriting class or you've just been receiving notes or, or giving notes and someone says, this isn't believable. And the counter is, well, that's how it happened. Mm-hmm. You're wrong, person who said that. Yes. Just because it happened doesn't mean that it's good storytelling. Or that it's believable. Anyway, Oren, it's going to be a good episode. You know, maybe one for the fans. If this is the first episode of Just Shoot It that you have decided to listen to, do me a favor. Go back to Brandon Malloy. That's a good straightforward episode. Lots of good nuggets there. But if you've been listening for a while and you're curious about the real real of what it feels like to be a director, you know, in between things, this is the episode for you. Well... Since you seem to be in such a better mood than me, maybe you will bless us with some information about what you've been working on lately. Yeah, buddy. I have been blessed in so much as I feel like maybe I am emerging from a few states of anxiety and panic and pain. First of all, my baby is about to turn six months. Are you talking about your feature script or the feature you already shot? My actual baby... Oh, a human six baby? Months. A human baby. You count that as your baby? Okay. That's my real baby. She's turning six months uh, in a week or so. You know, no one told me this, but having a baby is the opposite of writing. Please expound. So you're sleep deprived. The only thing you care about is keeping a little person alive. You're panicked about making a living and supporting this new person. And then, you know, slowly things get better and better and better. And I I think around the four or five month mark, I started to emerge out of that that haze of feeling like myself again, feeling creatively motivated. She no longer sleeps in our room. So I can, for instance, set an alarm clock so that I can wake up extra early to write before she wakes up. Kind of the, the things that maybe, you know, somebody takes for granted before they have a baby that are part of one's writing habit or even just having a clear head frankly just being able to like think about something besides work or raising this kid like now i have a little bit more bandwidth and so that's been really great as a result i've been able to commit more time to the afferent aforementioned film that oren has mentioned i'm in the middle uh or in the tail end of a rewrite that's been going pretty well and um feel energized and excited about starting the next one the next script or the next rewrite the next script the thing that i have been reminded of over the last two years or so is that as a director you kind of have to walk this balance between being wholly committed do or die gonna make the next thing that you're thinking about making come hell or high water even if it kills you right like that's what it takes to get a film made right and Also, in the cognitive dissonance that we all have to live in, you have to be working on a few other things. Because if the thing that you're working on doesn't come true or takes two years to get greenlit or whatever, you can't just be waiting around for that movie to get made. You have to have other things going. And because my commercial career is going well enough that like I feel stable and happy with that and and creatively fulfilled on that front and my current feature is moving along, I was like, oh, it's time to think about the next one. If only to have something locked and loaded that I can shoot myself before the end of the year so that Oren doesn't get the $100 that I bet him. If you can make a feature for less than $100, then this is a profitable endeavor. There you go. For you listeners that don't know what the hell we're talking about, Matt and I have a bet that he will not shoot his feature 
this year. It's $100. $100. The main feature, like I said, it's going very well. Rewrites are almost done. Deck is looking great. We're going to take it out soon. Basically, as soon as I'm done with this rewrite, I'm going to take it out. But that made me realize like, oh, okay, well, there's going to be some amount of time, whether it's a week or a month or whatever, or longer, where people are going to be reading it. I'm going to be offering it to people where it'll be a little harder to actively be working on it. You know, there's only so much work one can do on a feature while leads are reading it, for instance, and money is coming together. And so rather than just waiting for that to happen, it's time to start writing the next one. Well, that's cool. Do you know what it's about? Genre? and got anything? I do. I do. The one that I'm making now and the, the reason why you maybe have better than typical odds that you might win, Oren, the main feature costs enough money that it is talent dependent and therefore as i alluded to prior talent just takes a while for them to read things to like them you can only go out to one person at a time it's not like i can send it to 16 different actors who i would love and the first one who says yes gets it i have to send it to somebody they have to the agent has to send it to that other person that person has to read it and then get back to me and say that they like it or take a meeting with me or whatever and that's that's just like a arduous process and could conceivably eat up months and is not especially a fun way to make movies if you're in my position where you're used to just going for it and also not successful enough frankly to like command a substantial big big budget yet you know i'm kind of in this still starting out phase in many ways so i have to prove myself to people and you know if i had two awesome movies that both played Sundance under my belt it'd be a little bit easier not especially easy but but easier I think to say like oh well have you seen his other movies you know you know if you liked them then this one's going to be great too easier to pitch myself basically so the next one that I'm writing is deliberately scripted such that it is something that I can get moving on a little bit faster is less cast dependent and is less special effects driven, basically. Hour and a half TikTok video shot on an iPhone. There will be elements that are shot on an iPhone. Maybe email Apple. Maybe they'll sponsor it. Be like, <laughs> hey, I'm the guy shooting the feature. You know, it'd be iPhone. nice if they did, but I'm not worried about it. iPhone or not, the point is, is like it's written very explicitly to resources that I have, but also I'm super excited about it. Well, cool. That's awesome. I still have my project, the one that I talked at length about the other day. We actually, we spoke to a couple lawyers and our situation now is that this company wants to take our project and bring it to the money people, but they want to have a lot of ownership of it because they bring a lot of value to the table, which I understand and so both lawyers that we spoke to asked us the same question, which was, how much do you love this project? Like, is this the best thing you've ever written? Is this mm. your, mm-hmm. like the most important thing in your career that will make or break you that you've loved so much that has to be like the Oren and Julie project? Or if someone was like, hey, here's a few hundred grand, would you part with it? Or a few dozen grand, you know, like, or... Or or however much dollars or whatever, yeah, yeah. yeah or, or $10,000. Right. I, I want to hear more about this, and this is very interesting. This sounds like a very Oren-specific problem. However, there is a more relatable version of this, which is, do you have to direct this? A similar sort of question of like, oh, this is a cool idea. We really like this. You haven't done enough to get this movie. 
but we like the idea enough that we want to run with it and give it to somebody who has directed a movie. Would you be okay with that? Yeah. And it's just so interesting to me that like in the beginning of my career, it was like, are you kidding? This is an idea that I came up with. That's my entire life. It's like my best idea. And like, I finally got a meeting off of it. And now someone else is interested in it and someone wants to potentially pay us money for it. Like, of course, this is my baby. This is the most important thing. But now I'm like, hmm. like I'm very invested in the concept being done in a specific way. And I want it to be sure. good. You, you want it to be good. Yeah. And I think the way that I would make it is good is like the, the way that I'm excited about. That said, like, like the longer I direct, the more I appreciate the people that help the directors, you know, like mm-hmm. the more I would be excited to co-direct or to produce for a director mm-hmm. or to uh, or even write. the less important directing is like being the producer or the EP or getting a created by credit. All of those are a bigger deal than you realize. I think when you're first starting out, you know, I think or some of that comes from when you're younger, you think that the director is the main authorial voice is the boss is the, the person, you know, and then the more you work, the more you, and the different, you know, in features, that's still sort of the case, you know, mostly the case, but, but still studio people are a big part of the way of film turns out. Obviously all those collaborators have way, way, way more influence than you realize. Basically there's auteur theory, which is a bunch of hooey. And then there's the real world where the nature of collaborating and working with people and executive producers and other types of producers have way, way, way more influence. And so you realize like, it's kind of fun to just be a big, important part of something, but it doesn't matter if like you walk around and say, I directed that. Anyhow, that's what's going on with that project. We're kind of waiting to hear back you know, about some of the negotiations and we'll see, we'll see how that goes in the meantime. Yeah. I'm just pitching on some commercials. I happen to not get a few in a row, which humble brag, I don't mean it to be, but like I usually have like a pretty good batting average of the commercials I pitch on to the commercials I get. And so when I don't get two in a row, it sends me into a depressing spiral. And when I don't get three in a row, I'm like, why am I even doing this? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's always work to be done, and that's like part of, you know, I think the survival mode in Hollywood for all of us is like, we understand how the system works so we can, whether we're directing our dream job or doing visual effects on a, like a random movie, there's work to be done, but it's like, there's the type of work that you really have to fight to get. And there's the type of work that you can get, but isn't as exciting. And, and that's just kind of a place that I'm at right now. Yeah. So it's good. It's good. I'm like thankful that I have work, but I'm, you know, not super excited by the work that I have right now. So a thing, it's a thing. A thing that I have realized and that they didn't really talk about when we were younger, maybe because it was less true, frankly, most of the filmmakers that we love have side hustles. You know, Kelly Reichardt's a film professor and I think basically makes her living doing that. Or like Errol Morris yeah, Barry has. Barry Jenkins was like a post soup after yeah. Moonlight. Yeah, after. Or maybe right before. Yeah, yeah. But, like kind of right around that time. Well, and now Barry Jenkins like he's not making a ton of money on those movies, right? Like maybe, uh, hopefully he is, but like extrapolating a little bit more, you know, Wes Anderson directs commercials, Taika Waititi directs commercials. There are a lot of people, most of the people out there that we love have other ways of making money. George Clooney sells tequila or whatever, right? Yeah. And, and he makes a great Nescafe, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. It's easy to look at someone who's super, super famous and see an endorsement deal or something like that and be like, oh, well, that's just gravy. But Mm -hmm. I guess there are artists whom we admire and whose careers we would trade for who are still making their living or the majority of their income, I should say, in other avenues than filmmaking. That The filmmaking is kind of an advertisement for their commercial career, their endorsement career, or their product line you know what i mean and like pete fairly he made you know something about mary like these incredible movies and he basically only directs commercials now and i and i mostly know because you know i i watch a lot of commercials and i always try to figure out who directs them and like there's this amy schumer mayonnaise commercial Mm -hmm. that he directed it's not it's like yeah in the kitchen you know like they're not even huge commercials is he working on getting the next movie Greenlight in the meantime? Yes, he is, for sure. Which brings me to my other point, and that's that part of the job is is multitasking and having a lot of different irons in the fire. And so that's why uh, development is important. And that's why I think it's awesome that you're doing the podcast and that it's not a huge deal if you make your living off of the podcast or not. Like, that's the, that is the model. You're talking about not this podcast, not, the, scripted, no, the scripted, the audio podcast. show, yeah. 
I guess the sooner you come to terms with that and say, okay, well, I'm going to work for free a little bit. I'm going to make some TV shows that make a good amount of money. I'm going to make some commercials that make even better money. And I'm going to make an indie movie that helps me get the commercials and the TV shows that I lose money on. And it all nets out. That's okay. That's good. That, that, That is the plan. That is the model. Steven Spielberg doesn't executive produce Transformers 16 because he loves robots necessarily mm. he does love robots but you yeah. know like uh <laughs> an example but, but you hear but not not entirely though i think that he is out there selling the movie to make more movies to get to make the post which he knows isn't gonna make a ton of money but maybe we'll win an oscar or two i actually have a question that's relevant to this conversation that i'm curious do you think if you want to work in film like are you allowed to take breaks Because I think there's this mentality that you move to Hollywood or, you know, now you can kind of live anywhere, but you kind of insert yourself into the industry. And whether you're making your movie or writing your screenplay or just, you know, working as an assistant editor in a post house, that you should always kind of be touching the film industry. Because as soon as you, oh, go, you know, work for the Peace Corps for six months in, you know, Mm -hmm. South America or whatever, and come back that it will basically detach you from all your connections and that you will have to start over. Like how important is it to consistently be involved in your filmmaking, you know, and and your muscle Mm -hmm. exercising your filmmaking muscle and your creative muscles and, you know, knowing what's, what the trends are and what people are talking about, what people care about. Like, do you, like, are you allowed to take a break? So do you, Matt, take like a quote unquote sabbatical like they do in other industries? Like, so yeah. so here here's the hard this is the this is the annoying answer. I have a good one or I have a, a clear one but it's not satisfying. Um if it was 2005 or earlier the answer is hard yes. And the reason I say that is because uh the economy was good enough and people were spending money money on DVDs, going to the movie theaters, etc that uh directors were paid really really well and part of the reason why it's good that directors were paid so well or writers were paid so well is that that afforded them the opportunity to take a sabbatical where they traveled to some far off country and recharge the batteries and donate their time to an important cause and then they come back and write about it right like mm-hmm. like to me the the hit makers who were just like bang 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 just constantly churning out work are few and far between. And frankly, that's kind of in a karmic sense, not the point. The point is that you can take those earnings and turn that into something a little bit more artistically fulfilling, basically. Right. And that we can be sustained for spaces of time in between hits. The problem that we are in currently is that the model is shifting very specifically and we haven't, Going back to your earlier point of like, oh, writing about a movie right in the middle of a tumultuous time. We're still kind of in the middle of that, specifically for indie filmmaking, specifically for commercials. Commercial budgets are shifting radically. Unions are shifting radically. Netflix just lost 200,000 users per country, basically, that they're in. Their stock has plummeted. Like, we're still trying to figure it all out. And so in 10 years, how much will a director make relative to that film? And will that sustain them for two or three years at a very 
high standard of living while they're developing other things and going to lunches and hanging out with movie stars so that they can cast them in movies later. I don't know. Or, or is it just that like we all direct commercials and then get to do a movie once every five years? I, I don't know what the future holds. All of which is to say it's important that you do take that time because if you're just making movies about movies that you've seen or making movies, that's not especially interesting and that's not what the world needs. And I think part of the shift we've seen is in realizing that like, oh, if the same group of people are telling the same stories over and over again, that's not interesting to the world at large and especially to the people who haven't been telling those stories for so long. You know, I think that we're we're just in the middle of a couple different paradigm shifts. So I can take a break or I cannot take a break. I'm saying in five years, you'll know if you'll be able to take a break or not. <laughs> Uh, okay. Which is not which is not satisfactory. But I'm saying, yes, you should take a break. Artistically, will work support you for that amount of time? That kind of depends on your own circumstance. Could my father, who was like a salesman, basically, take a six-month break? No, he couldn't. In the same way that you and I don't feel like we could take six months off necessarily because we have families to support. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... Can you say, you know what, I'm not going to write for six months. I'm not going to develop a podcast for six months. I'm going to spend time with my kids and read and recharge those batteries and like make a conscious effort to go to museums and seek out other types of people and travel. Should you do that? Yeah, you absolutely should. You could stop the podcast for six months. You know what I mean? Like that would be okay. Because I think a lot about, you know, hobbies and things that mm-hmm. we talked Being before the mic that I yeah. kind of have like a new hobby that's like I'm is all consuming and I'm trying to stop myself from like watching YouTube videos about it and learning more about it and meeting people involved in it. And I heard this interview recently with Riley Stearns on making movies is hard. He made this movie called The Art of Self-Defense with Jesse Eisenberg. And he said he wrote it because he was getting really into jujitsu. Sometimes you can find a hobby that really is directly related to your work. And sometimes you find a hobby that is like totally unrelated to your work. And yeah, I mean, I'll stop you there. It's all related. And that's both the blessing and the curse. You know, I used to play pinball because I was like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a hobby that you can't turn into a movie? And then I was like, well, shoot. Who has the rights to the Bride of Pinbot? I'm constantly like whenever I do anything unrelated to filmmaking, I'm thinking of like, how is this world interesting enough or unique enough or are the characters in it? uh, Do they have enough stakes that it would be interesting to a general audience Mm -hmm. to to write a story about this? You remember when I had my my video game addiction (laughs) a couple of years ago? Mm -hmm. And I wrote a short about it and I never made it. And I still feel like that's like an awesome, super relatable world. But the more I research it, the more I get sucked into it. So I, I had to stop to stop touching that world. Anyhow, things are good. In general, I'm very excited about this new commercial company I'm with. I'm very excited about my scripted project. Anyhow, Matt, give us one actionable tidbit, something you learned about being a filmmaker in the last two weeks. I think the the thing that I'm going to harp on for the next couple years, there's two things. One, get your scenes up on their feet as soon as you can. Move fast and break things. Yeah, yeah. Like that's 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 for real. Find yourself a workshop experience or a table read experience because it is invaluable. Two, uh, more irons in the fire, everybody. Like don't get scattered. Don't lose focus. But 
complete something and then move on to the next thing so that you can be developing and fundraising and shooting and editing all the time. Those are the two things. Get it up and then get more going. Kaplan, give us one. I'll talk about one thing I did today as I was reviewing edits from a commercial shoot I did recently. I called up the producer, the post supervisor and the editor. And the four of us got on a Google meet together and I shared my screen and we just watched the cuts. It was like the second to final cut, basically, of these commercials, these four 30 second commercials. And I was like, Folks, I want to just go through every cut one more time where we just watch them like frame by frame and talk mm-hmm. about anything that remotely bothers us mm-hmm. to see if we can like make these. How as, can we fix it? How can we make it better? Yeah. Yeah. That. As good. And a lot of it wasn't like, you know, like fixing things, but I had a lot of notes that were like, you know, we're cutting from a medium shot to a medium shot to a medium shot. Is there, is there some way, a different version of this take, a different size some something to make this just feel tighter and you know i'm very like specific with music and pacing so a lot of like don't you think if like this like we're cutting to this shot and we're seeing the actress wait to start saying her line like if we took like three frames off the front of this and i really ask the editor a lot like what do you think about this like do you think there is a take or do you think there's a version of this where you can make her breath you know be in rhythm with the, you know, the speed of the music, things like that. And I haven't seen the new cuts yet, but I felt like when we were all done, it wasn't like we're fighting or anything. It was just literally like looking at every single cut and saying like, is this knowing what we have and knowing that we don't have a lot of time to work on these, is this the best cut or is there, is there there a different shot, a different timing, a different framing? Like we reframed, you know, a couple shots where it just felt like too much head room, you know, headspace, things like that. And it was a, a really enjoyable experience. So if you are like finishing your short, finishing your spec commercial, finishing your real commercial, finishing your pilot, and you have some trusted friends and especially people that worked on it, that you can just all watch it together remotely or in person and just kind of go cut by cut. I think you have a real chance of, you know, making something that you're extremely happy with awesome so. well i can't wait to see those edits i hope that you took all of my notes i think i took some i'm tomorrow is our, the color <laughs> session and you you had you had that idea about the color i feel like yeah. that was my biggest takeaway yeah i think that's a good I, that was a, a good and note. i'm gonna i'm excited yeah, yeah. to try it out tomorrow because we haven't i haven't gotten to have my hands on the keyboard oh. since we spoke i think also having a friend who has fresh eyes you know, like I think most of the thing you sent me these cuts and I was like, oh, yeah, here are all the things I know you already know, but it's worth it to hear them out loud. And like, there's a few things that you didn't think of. This is a very obvious piece of advice, but but show both your filmmaker friends your work and your non-filmmaker mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. your work. Mm-hmm. And you get very different value from those people. Yeah. Your non-filmmaker friends will personally, I find that they you need to just see if they're bored or not mm-hmm. and you need to grill them like about like the clarity of what you're saying. You can't ask them if they like it or not because they will just say yes, that they like it or they'll say no and they'll, and it'll be like your mom and mm-hmm. you'll be like very hurt like, and well, it doesn't well, mean anything. What am I doing? Um, and then your filmmaker friends, they can tend to give you more actionable advice. Like, hey, do you have a different take of this or do you have a wider shot or like do you, you know, what if you cut this a little bit faster? Like a big thing that I 
like a lot of my notes today were about like just cutting on the action. When you have an awkward cut, you know, from two shots that are maybe a little too similar to each other, I find that a really easy way to bridge them is to just cut on action, which I know everyone knows that, but like maybe the character's lifting up a cup or something. If you cut to that shot, like two frames before they lift up the cup versus two frames after they start lifting up the cup, that second version where they're already lifting up the cup when you cut is nine out of 10 times going to be like a better, smoother cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because your eye is already like going to something in motion when you get to the, the other side of the cut. Well, and I think actually having given that note actually today, I think it's so obvious and it's so film school that we tend to ignore it. You know, you mm-hmm. end up like kind of being so advanced that you don't worry about it quite so much and that it happens intuitively or whatever. And then, you know, you nudge a cut three seconds earlier because of the breath or because you want it to land on a beat or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's not cutting on action anymore. And it's mm-hmm. easy to realize to lose sight of why it's not working. And so I think one final thing before we get into endorsements, listeners will remember I've been putting up scenes in a workshop environment called sandbox talked about on the show sandbox.la. If you want to check it out, it's a workshop for directors to, you know, work on their scenes basically. Anyway, I've been in this environment where I'm with all of these other fellow filmmakers and they're all, you run the scene and then the actors leave the room and then everyone notes the scene and then you bring them in and then you give their your direction based off of those notes and then you run it again and until your time runs out, basically rinse and repeat. And I've noticed that my style of noting, my style of trying to note other director's scenes is offensive prescriptive i can't tell you how many times i wanted to walk up take the script out of their hand cut this line add a pause here paste this line up do a reversal change this blocking very 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 methodical very very to the point and it's because i feel like i've internalized the pacing of like being results driven and being with your back against the wall timing wise that I, I've mm-hmm. got, I've got 15 minutes to get this scene done because I've got to go on to the next one. Otherwise, I'm losing shots on the next scene. And so, whereas I think the other directors, all of whom are great, have this really philosophical, like Socratic way of like they'll ask questions. They'll be like, you know, I'm really, I didn't feel this about the scene, or I was really hoping that that it was all very one note, or you know, there's a hand, there's jargon to it, certainly. But it was like really fascinating to me to realize that I, I think I maybe once upon a time spoke in that manner. And now I'm just like, I have to kind of take a step back and translate the things that I am instinctually feeling like I need to do to get the scene quote unquote right. Which yeah, it's a workshop. There's no such thing as right. It doesn't, there's, you know, it's about exploration. It's about finding things and improving things and making mistakes. So there's no, there's no camera to get it right for quote unquote. It has been a thing that's really, do you like that about yourself or is that something you don't like about yourself? I like that. I know how to get what I want, but I haven't gotten back into the practice of explaining why I would do the things that I would do to get the results that I want. That presumes that they want the same results as me, you know, coming from a comedy background, 
I'm almost always like, right. guys, pace this You're up like, two fart times. sound, fart sound, yeah, burp, yeah. Add, double add take, fart, bu- bu- spit take. I, or even like there was a, a scene where I was like, okay, well, when you shoot this, make sure that you have a clean single on that character for these reasons. That's not really the forum for that sort of thinking. And like, maybe they were thinking about that. Maybe they weren't. It wasn't bad advice, frankly, but like the subtext being, I think that these actors are putting too much air into this scene and you can cut it out if you have that clean single. And these are all working professionals. They know that for sure. But like the, the note should be, Oh, I found, I found there was too much breeziness in the, the, the reads and here are the, the thought processes or verbs or whatever to get them to make their characters respond in that the way that I want them to. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It's, it's been a illuminating experience to be back in a kind of more academic, frankly, environment as a way to kind of experiment and get a little groovy, find myself, make my scenes better. It's been fun. Do you, you have a minute to endorse something with me? I do. Unpaid endorsements. So I've got three real quick, starting from the most Oren and ending at the most Madden Low. My first endorsement is the Ultimate Ears Wonder Boom 2 Bluetooth speaker. It's like teeny tiny. It's like uh, the size of like a softball. It sounds awesome. Battery life lasts forever. I take it outside with me all the time if I want to listen to music when I'm in the backyard. I use it in the garage here. It's awesome. It's like the best Bluetooth speaker I've ever owned. Uh, Wonder Boom 2 by Ultimate Ears. It's like $90. It's like awesome. It sounds truly great. And it's waterproof if you are around water, you know, like a, the swimming pool or a whitewater rafting or whatever, I suppose. My next is I was gifted a uh, Atlas Obscura desk calendar, like the ones where you like tear off you know, a sheet of paper and you read the thing or whatever, like a word of the day calendar. You don't need a calendar to keep the date, obviously. But what I do like about having a desk calendar is anytime I need a moment to just clear my head, think of something totally different, not look at a screen. I pull a a page off of this desk calendar. I read the fact about the strange place in the world. Atlas Obscura has a really, truly great one about all sorts of crazy things that you've never heard of before. Uh, maybe it gives you an idea. Worst case scenario, you're distracted for 15 seconds as you read the thing. Um, so having a desk calendar as like a little way of micro meditation, we'll say, is my endorsement. And then my final one is a tweet thread that Daniel Kwan, half of Daniels, tweeted about the marketing behind their film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is A24's biggest movie right now. And it's a thread by Jeff Yang, who is like a marketing consultant specifically for Asian American audiences. Basically, it's a tweet thread about the case study on how to do grassroots interest marketing. And so Mm. it's a combination. That sounds cool. Everything everywhere all at once crossed the 20 million mark. It makes the point that like indie movies have had a, a rough go lately. $20 million is no small feat for a, a yeah, movie. It's amazing. It's amazing. And like we all think, oh, yes, of course, everything everywhere all at once is a huge deal. Everyone's talking about it, et cetera, et cetera. But it's hard to get a movie like that to penetrate into a mass market, quote unquote. And by mass market, most of the time people mean white, right? This thread talks about the ways in which you can target smaller groups of people who are interested and excited whether that's 
any sort of reason, right? In this circumstance, it's like, oh, it's really fucking exciting to have Asian American actors as the leads. And they talk about how they galvanized that community to get the word of mouth going and get people fucking super excited about this film. And then that spills over into all sorts of other markets, basically. You know, it cites a lot of different other ideas and different, you know, like Tyler Perry wrote the playbook on this stuff, right? So, but it's fascinating. It's great. In general, Daniel Kwan, is, his Twitter is awesome for all sorts of different resources about music video, VFX, marketing, etc. It's great. Besides being like an awesome director, in case you hadn't heard. So uh, those are my endorsements. Kaplan, what you got, buddy? Well, I realized how you're coming up with your endorsements. So if you have a podcast and you have to endorse something at the end of every episode and you've done 317 episodes, you run out of things to endorse. All you got to do is you go to Amazon.com, you click on orders, and then you see what the last two things you bought are and you endorse them. I, I, I keep a list, man. Yeah, on Amazon. So I <laughs> bought a Panasonic nose hair and ear hair trimmer. How'd it go? 430K. Mm-hmm. So this is the move. This is not something you should say out loud on a podcast, but I'm going to do it. Uh, it's the Panasonic ER430K. Put that on your taxes, right? That you bought some sort of sound equipment or something. You can write it off, even though in reality it's a nose and ear hair trimmer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from Panasonic. It's pretty good. It's much better than my old one. I also got an LED camping lantern. It's rechargeable in case there's a power outage. Mm-hmm. It's got 2,700, 6,000 Kelvin. It's dimmable. Love it. I have all these lanterns. You got to put batteries in. My daughter is always trying to read in the dark while her brother's sleeping. With these flashlights, I'm replacing batteries and things every 10 minutes at my house, Matt. Batteries are expensive. And then my last thing is I've been trying to get my wife to watch Severance with me for the last, I don't know, six years. She has below zero interest in watching it. And the other day I was awake for once, not falling asleep on the couch and she went to sleep and I was like, I'm going to watch the first episode of this show. And I really enjoyed it. Have you seen it yet? Not yet. Yeah, we're, we're still in winning time is our main show. We're kind of like a one and a half show family at this point. Yeah. Well, we watch Winning Time. My wife watches that. But Severance, it's, you know, Ben Stiller directed. Mm-hmm. Trailers does not look interesting. The All the poster art looks kind of like early 2000s, like Michelle Gondry, like mm-hmm. meets Terry Gilliam. Like, I don't know. There's just something like that feels not interesting or good about it or meaningful, but it's actually... I really enjoyed the first episode. It's it, You should be awake for it. It's not a fast moving show, but the way it's shot is very cool. It's, it's kind of what you would expect, like a lot of, you know, kind of centered compositions mm-hmm. and wide shots and leading lines and, you know, ceilings and lights and all those things, but just done really well and like some real interesting coverage and editing that I've never really seen before. And I don't know, it's, it's worth watching because to me what's hard about watching new shows is that they just look like all the other shows i've seen before and this show definitely has its own voice that's why i like winning time too it just has its own like a totally different style than anything you've seen before hey you're making me realize maybe we're entering an avant-garde era of mainstream television wouldn't that be incredible yeah well i think it's a you know comes from a need to grab people's attention and you know, be interesting in this TikTok world when you can see so many cool dances in 14 seconds. Why would you watch, you know, a 48 minute episode of TV? Art house television. I'm here for it. 
Matt, thanks for joining me. I apologize for forcing you to talk about the down times mm. in a filmmaker's career. And so thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you want to support us, go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. You can give us a dollar a month, two dollars a month, fifteen dollars gets you an awesome just shoot it hat that you can wear on set. We're going to have a lot more exciting episodes coming up. Guests, we're going to do live shows again. That is something we must do. And if you have any thoughts about this episode, about other episodes, about things you want us to cover, about your own stories, if you want to humble brag, email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can find us across all social media at justshootitpod. You can follow me on Twitter and see all the tweets that I like. I'm at SmiteyPyleg. On Instagram, I'm at OKaplan. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow across all social media. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thank you, Noah. And you're listening to music by the Free Music Archive and the artist Chazar. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.